Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. I've seen kinda, a bunch. Kind of muted today. You feel you seem a little really low energy. You know I what? am too. That's do you fine. Know what it is? Just peek behind the curtain for the listeners. It's because I'm. We've been talking since you moved into this place about soundproofing this room a little more to make it sound more like your old place, yes, which was yes. carpeted and smaller, because I'm bothered by the echo. As, uh, as am I, yes. no one has complained about it, I'm the only one who notices it, apparently. Maybe they haven't cares. complained because we do occasionally comment on it, and they're like, well, at least they know. Yeah, so... Um, we're going to get around to it eventually. So maybe I'm just self-conscious. We'll right? I'm, I'm speaking a little quieter because uh, yeah. um, I don't want my voice to be bouncing off, off the walls. Absolutely. Um, anyway, so uh, I've got a lot of movies to get to. Um, I told you I have nine movies. That's, yeah. Technically, I guess I actually have um, like 13 movies or something, but we're talking about the, uh, the Oscar nominated shorts. Oh, okay. So, so it's more than 13. It's, like 17 movies yeah, or yeah. whatever but um a lot of them are you know real short that's the yeah. nature of shorts um it's not just a clever name so uh we are going to start with the oscar nominated live action shorts okay. um and now we know which of them won, which was The Silent Child. The Silent Child, which I guess, yeah. uh, there were not, I mean, I'm sure you guys talked about it uh, uh, on the on the uh, post-Oscar episode. Um, not a lot of surprises, this Oscars. Not a single surprise. But there were, um, I wouldn't say there's not a single surprise. I had, uh, anyway. In like the, the major categories, there weren't like, major, a lot of surprises. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, I didn't expect Icarus to win documentary. That I, was one. Yes. I was skeptical that Roger Deakins was ever going to win an Oscar. So I didn't, I had my money on Dan Lauston. Um, mm. But anyway, um, that's not the point. There were, I think for people who were paying attention like me, who had gotten a chance to watch them, there were some surprises in the, uh, not in the animator, but in the documentary and the live action shorts to me. Um, I, uh, so yeah, the, um, it was, the Silent Child that won, but uh, God, I had to find where this started. I started watching these forever ago. Okay, so live action. The first one I watched was, which is the one that I mm-hmm. uh, think was the best and that I thought was going to win, is called De- DeKalb Elementary. Okay, um, it's about a, a, a school shooter who comes into the office and holds uh, the. Uh, essentially the I don't know if she's a receptionist she's the principal secretary what she mm-hmm. is essentially holds her hostage while the cops are gathering outside um, and it's it's basically Captain Phillips in miniature <laughs> it's, oh, okay. it's like the exact same yeah. sort of premise and it's really well done and this this woman who who um, who stars in it who I mean the the the, the kid is uh, the young man is is a good actor too but um um, she, Does he say I'm the principal now, uh, she or just, I'm the principal's secretary now? Uh, no, he doesn't. Okay, um, he never says that. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> but uh, oh, I think is uh, Tara Riggs. Uh, there are a lot of order on the uh, on the letterbox thing, so I can't tell you who the woman is who plays the the secretary. But she's terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, she's you know she's the Tom Hanks role, yeah. uh, and she's she's so great. Um, after that, uh, there's My Nephew Emmett, which is the story of Emmett Till. Oh, okay. Um, told from the point of view, because, you know, he was from Chicago. He was staying with his aunt and uncle. Right. So it's told from the point of view of his uncle, who, like, mm. um, finds out that Emmett uh, had, you know, while in town, had 
um, caused a stir by wolf whistling at a white woman. Right. Um, and then it come and then, uh, and then that night they come, the local, uh, I don't know, racists, I guess come <laughs> the, the local, the local chapter of racists. <laughs> right, no, it's like the, the husband of the guy and then some other just, yeah. um, uh, violent racist fuck come and show up in the middle of the night. And it's, it's all from the point of view of this guy who's like, basically the, I mean, ha, you know, has to let them walk away with his nephew. Yeah. At, in order to save his entire family. Cause they'll kill right. everybody. Oh yeah. They, yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's that one I think is a, as far as the way it's the, the way the movie is, um, um, the movie unfolds. It's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's well shot. It's very, it's very competently done, but the, the main, the main actor who, I swear to God, what? Uh, just the way that these are, um, yeah, you can't count Letterboxd has its purposes. Uh, but when it comes to like looking into casts and stuff, that is not one of them. Yeah. Cause it doesn't list them in the order that you would think. No, like, so they, it's, it doesn't. Like, I'm, t- I'm guessing as to like LB Williams might be the guy I'm talking about, but the main guy is really good. Okay. We can't spend forever on these because it's going to take uh, forever. Um, the next one, which a lot of people, a lot of people I talk to who watch these kind of, this is their favorite. Um, uh, I think that comedy snob in me is maybe, uh, um, uh, coming out here, but, uh, the 11 o'clock is an Australian one. Okay. And it's, it's basically like a sketch. Um, I like that. I like the idea of that. Yeah. But it, I think it's, and it's got great. The two, the two leads are very funny together, but I think conceptually it's, it's very thin. Uh, basically the premise is psychiatrist shows up to work, um, and doesn't recognize his receptionist. And mm-hmm. she's like, Oh, I'm the temp. Your receptionist is out today. He yeah. goes, ah, very good. Okay. So he sits down and he's like, uh, says to the receptionist, uh, you know, I can't seem to find my appointment. Tell me about my 11 o'clock. It's a new patient. And she says, Oh, he's, he was referred by whatever. He's a new patient. And, uh, he is a, de- he's delusional and he thinks he's a psychiatrist. Can you put together what has actually happened here? Uh, I think, I, I think so, but I'll let you, the uh, guy who shows up right. first is the patient. Right. Um, and it just, the whole thing sort of hinges on the idea on the fact that there was a temp receptionist that mm-hmm. they're actually, otherwise this wouldn't have gone that I'm okay with. Like I said, you get one buy. like I said, yeah. I've said it before, you know, in a movie you get like one, maybe two buys from the audience. Yeah. So this thing, this coincidence that the secretary is out this day, that's fine. That's what makes it work. Yeah. After that, though, I feel like there are there are times when the correct psychiatrist could prove his point much easier than he does, and it would be over with, and it sort right. of drags on yeah. um, longer than it needs to. Yeah. Uh, and the performance is good, but uh, yeah. One of my favorite things, and I, of course, it's not I'm I'm not taking it literally here, but like one of my favorite things that uh, our friend Jimmy Pardo said about like whether it could be a TV show, it could be a movie, but like certain types of comedies, he's like, he said, any story that can be resolved by a post-it note is one that I feel like I just am not going to be that involved in or invested in, which is, which I, I totally know what he means where it's like, if, if somebody took two seconds to even slightly elaborate, which all of us would do. Yeah. It's like, I, I, well, the thing you're, you're losing like, me now. It's his office. There are, yeah. we later see, near the end of the 
film, we see that there's a picture of him and his wife on the desk. Mm. Why didn't he, at the beginning, say, if this is your office, why is there a picture of right. me on this desk? Yeah. Or why didn't he point to the diploma on the wall that says, this is my name? You know, yeah. he doesn't do any of that. And that, like, kind of um, stretched my patience a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I could see it. Um, all right. So then the winning one is The Silent Child, which is, uh, you know, I don't want to be dismissive because I, I honestly think what this movie is about is very important, but as a movie, it's really just a PSA. It is, uh, okay. it is made to make one specific point, And then at the end, it literally has, here's where you can go online to, Oh wow. Um, and it is a good point. It is basically about a, um, a, um, uh, a deaf girl who's, uh, who's has a tutor who signs and is teaching her sign language, mm. but her parents are, not willing to put in the work to learn sign language themselves and are, and the school is not willing to do things that they, um, can and should do, I guess. And this takes place in England. I'm not sure what the law is here, but in terms of providing, Mm -hmm. you know, translation and stuff like that. Um, and so, uh, and you say, if you, what you watch the Oscars, you saw, um, Rachel, I can't remember her name, but she's the, um, uh, co-writer and she plays the tutor. Mm. Um, she made the point that, you know, a de- being deaf isn't a mental disability and you're not right. mentally incapacitated, but being deaf often leads to lower education because people sure. don't put in the legwork or realize that the, 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 um, what's what I'm looking for opportunities, uh, yeah. tools are available to them. You know, uh, it's very, very, uh, uh very meaningful, very important. Yeah. Uh, um, so I'm glad that it was made and it was seen by a lot of people as a, as a film critic though. I can't sit here and tell you it's a great movie, yeah. but I do think it makes its point very well. Um, yeah. All right. Um, and then I guess the final one is called, uh, Watu Wote, um, uh, which I guess translates to all of us. And it is, uh, really interesting. Um, it's because it's a true story about, um, and now I'm forgetting what country it was, Senegal, maybe where there was a lot of, I guess, and maybe to this day probably still is, it wasn't that long ago. Um, a lot of cl- clashes between the Christians and the Muslims. Mm-hmm. And so there was a bus going through the, the, the countryside from one city to another. Then, um, a group of, uh, Muslim militant terrorist extremists stopped the bus and with the intention of killing all the Christians mm-hmm. and the Muslim passengers on board the bus, like gave headscarves to and like hid, oh. hid the, and, and protected their, the Christian fellow nice. passengers. Um, uh, I just said that's nice as though they like shared their tea with them or something no, yeah, like it's that. It's beyond because like yeah. one of the Muslims did end up getting killed. It's you know, true mm-hmm. story. Um, and the, the main character is, um, one of the Christian women. That's the point of view. This is, is told from, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's really well made. The, the, the whole sequence of the, raid and the standoff and everything is incredibly tense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I would not have been put out if this one had won the Oscar. Sure. Uh, anyway. All right, let's move on. That's, so that's my first movie. Okay. Those five movies are my first movie. Okay. Let's move on to animation. Let's talk about the one that won dear basketball. It's beautiful to look at. And it's yeah. only five minutes long. 
<laughs> yeah. You can't go can't go wrong with it. But I just I don't care about Kobe Bryant as a basketball player. Yeah, I know. Maybe part of that is because I don't care about basketball. But even as a yeah. hockey fan, I don't care about uh, athletes who are rapists. Personally, you know, um, I care about them only slightly less than regular athletes. <laughs> right, which is, you're already starting at pretty yeah, much zero. Exactly. Um, yeah, I wouldn't care about this anymore if it were about. Uh, Patrick Kane, allegedly, um, yeah. uh, that's the, uh, uh, alleged NHL rapist. Um, the, there's more than one. Undoubtedly. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's dear basketball is nice to look at, but I don't really care. Garden party on the other hand is my favorite. Okay. Um, even though I think, okay, there's a, there's a sort of, I don't even know if subgenre is the world. There's a, there's a mode of short film that can basically be related to like a joke that it's mm-hmm. just a build up to a punchline. Do you know what yeah. I mean? A lot of short films work like that. I I've heard that talked about as a negative thing. I don't think it necessarily is. I, I think, um, short film, you know, one of the things that's fun about it is that it's so freed from our expectations that, uh, it can be a bunch of different things and I'm right. okay with, I'm okay with a good movie being a, a good short film being essentially a, a joke as long as they're all, not all like that. And they're right. not. But, um, so I don't even want to reveal too much about garden party except to say that it is, uh, computer animation animated close to photorealistic most of the time. And, um, it's just a bunch of frogs and a little wildlife in like a backyard pool that you kind of realize like, Oh, this hasn't been tended to in a while. Maybe this house is empty. And then like, they end up getting into the house and like the longer things go, you sort of realize like, Oh, why is that window broken? Or like, why is that like, is that a bullet casing? Like you sort of hmm. re- like as these frogs and stuff are like cavorting and having fun in this house. Yeah. Uh, and you're seeing sort of like rotting food and like clothes left out. And you're sort of starting to realize, like wonder like what happened here? Yeah. And there is eventually a reveal that's like, um, uh, kind of what you expect, but in a way you don't expect. Okay. So, uh, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, then there's the Pixar one, Lou, which is just not not for me. Um, uh, I mean, I, I think, don't think I saw it. It was before Cars three. That's why. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I hadn't seen it either before this. Um, but it's just I, I don't know. I have trouble. Um, well, we'll talk about this maybe again when we get to Wrinkle in Time. But um, this is a hangup of mine. Okay, I think. And my, my wife is, uh, you know, m- a much more uh, mature and thoughtful person than I am. Okay. And so she will point out that like, and, and she also is a child social worker who works with children all the time. So she'll point out like, you know, children, you know, the saying hurt people, hurt people, people who have been hurt tend to hurt people. Is the idea. Oh yeah. Okay. I, um, I took it as like a command, but like <laughs> yeah, really emphatic. emphatic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, like my wife will often point out to me that when, when I get upset by people I think are being bullies, yeah. she'll often point out like, well, kids who are bullies tend to have, you know, be missing something in their home lives and not loved yeah. and bullied themselves by, or, or, or abused. But, you know, uh, and so, um, like I remember in moonlight mm-hmm. when he, breaks the chair over the kid's back. Yeah. I feel like I'm supposed to be going like, Oh no, moonlight violence is not the answer. But my, my reaction in the theater was fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had two reactions. One was fuck. Yeah. But that was quickly followed by, 
like, ah, oh, this is going to get him in a lot of, in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And there's a moment in wrinkle in time like that too, where I was like, ha um, uh, that I don't think that that's how you're supposed to react. But I, so I do have a bit of a hang up about bullies, but mm-hmm. Lou is a sort of, uh, bully redemption story okay. in which, uh, um, there's a, there's a bully who sort of runs the playground and then the, the items in the lost and found box at the, the edge of the playground sort of become a sentient mass and teach the bully a lesson. <laughs> kind of Cronin, uh, Lynchian. Yeah. When I say it yeah. like that, it sounds creepy. <laughs> and it it's actually like way too saccharine for me. Okay. Uh, not my type of thing at all. Okay. Uh, negative space though is really good. It's a stop, stop motion sort of just kind of a person, like a short personal essay slash memoir about, mm. Um, the narrator's memories of his father who went on business trips a lot, but his, um, he talks about it, The narrator talks about how like, you know, some boys bond over playing catch or fishing. I bonded with my dad over suitcases. Like he would, his dad was very particular about packing a suitcase. So he would like teach his son hmm. how to pack a suitcase. And like, uh, at a certain point, I guess some guy was to a certain age, the ritual was the son would actually pack for him. And then when the, when the dad got to his hotel room and unzipped the thing, he would text him perfect. And that was like a nice little, yeah. uh, it's, it's very nice and, and sweet and melancholy. Of course, of course the, the, the father has passed away. Um, uh, I really liked negative space. I know at least, uh, I've talked to at least one other person who's, who said it was their favorite. Um, and then finally, uh, revolting rhymes, uh, is the longest of, of the, it's as long as the other four put together. It's, hmm. it's a half hour. Um, and apparently it's only part one. There's a, another one that was made, but I guess it didn't qualify or whatever. Um, and revolting rhymes is kind of a, uh, it's, um, uh, based on Roald Dahl. It's kind of a, uh, reimagining of the three little pigs and, Little Red Riding Hood and Snow White, all sort of in the same kind of kind of modern but kind of classical setting. Okay, and it's narrated by one of the wolves. There's multiple wolves, right? Um, and and so you get um, uh, yes, yeah, so like Little Red Riding Hood and Snow White are like friends. Uh, anyway, it, it's um, but it's it gets uh, kind of. Uh, nasty kind of a little darker it's called revolting rhymes for a reason and it is yeah. all in meter it all that's uh, nice. all the narration uh rhymes uh, and it has this very sort of like uh i think as a you are like me maybe more so than me a fan of like sort of uh crime or thriller type of genre stuff yes. and it has this sort of like revenge thriller like patient revenge thriller clockwork mm. uh, uh, uh methodology to it that i i really enjoyed uh, and the 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 narrator the the wolf is voiced by dominic west and he does a great job oh nice yeah. all right yeah now okay you have reminded me of a song from our not necessarily childhood, but I'd say middle school years, uh, accompanied by a stop motion music video by a band that I believe was called Green Jelly, and uh, it was uh, about the three little pigs. Well, yeah, they were originally called Green Jello, Green and Je- they got uh, right. uh, a cease and desist, and they became Green Jelly. Yeah, yeah, like, and I called them Green Jello, and then people started saying Jelly, and I was like, "What's going on here?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's 
And I remember I was, I, I think I was at the right age for that song. Cause it was like, it was all like it was dumb. It's a dumb song. <laughs> um, that's really violent. And then to see it in stop motions, like, Oh my gosh, how exciting. The wolf is getting blown away by Rambo. Literally everybody, if you don't know the song, yeah. check it out. Uh, yeah, it was a novelty hit, I guess it was a novelty hit. Yes. It's the kind of thing that, you know, Dr. Demento would yeah, play or definitely. something, but okay. Sorry, we can move on. All right. So, um, that's all of the animated shorts. Now moving on to feature films, I watched a Tunisian film okay. called As I Open My Eyes, um, which came out a few years ago. Uh, but I've been, like I said, um, I have been trying this year. I, I start off well every year trying to do the 52 films by women thing. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to get ahead. And so I'm just, I've talked about how I have various like lists of things that I want to watch. So I've been kind mm-hmm. of going through them and cherry picking out. Um, things that I had been interested already that I know were directed by women to try and get my, um, uh, you could count those up. three Walmart commercials that played during uh, the Oscars. Um, well, I, um, I wouldn't count commercials. I'm not actually confident if I'm counting short films or not. Cause a bunch of the ones I just mentioned are, are directed by women. Um, but I also wouldn't count those because I didn't watch the Oscars live. I did what I always do, which is, wait about 40 minutes or so so that I can just watch on the DVR sure. and fast forward through all the commercials. Sure. And then I end up, I think I was only about 15, 20 minutes by the time I caught up with like, by the time right. I, I, or by the time I got to the end, I think I was only 15 or 20 minutes behind everybody else. Okay. It was fine. I just stayed off Twitter and you know, it was fine. Uh, Oh, congratulations to you, by the way. Thank you. You won. I did. Um, uh, it was close though. Um, yeah you won the the, we do our our fantasy award season every year that culminates the the oscars is our super bowl i guess of the fantasy award season and and tyler won for the first time for the first time yeah and i remember um because we held the draft back in october at me and natalie's place and so uh now was just like flipping through Facebook or whatever. And she just saw you holding up an envelope with her handwriting on it, like a big envelope <laughs> with her handwriting. And she was like, Oh, I completely forgot about yeah. that. Oh, she and I are having an affair. <laughs> uh, and that's how I chose to, uh, right. <laughs> to yeah. reveal it. Yeah. I forgot about the, yeah, that we had done that anyway. Um, okay. So as I open my eyes is, uh, uh imagine if Ladybird a, took place in Tunisia. Okay. And B Ladybird was in a, um, uh, sort of a- activist protest, anti-government rock band, <laughs> a folk rock band. Okay. Um, that's kind of, I mean, it feels weird to make that comparison in retrospect, given that this movie is like three years older than Ladybird. Sure. But I guess that's this, it was being, it was, you know, right around Oscar time and, you know, the end of the year, I was in mind of Lady Bird, yeah. uh, watching this. And, um, at first I was not super on board because I felt like, um, this is really one sided. Like clearly this director has a political point to make about things in Tunisia and the mom represents the status quo, or at least the people, you know, the status quo, the people who are too cowed by the government, um, you know, to make room for things like what her daughter is doing, speaking out, you know? Uh, and I was like, this, this movie is, um, I was like, this is Ladybird. If Laurie Metcalf's character weren't uh, a sympathetic character, that's what I felt at first. Okay, but um, it actually sort of shifts over time. I think intentionally it starts that way, and you, uh, as things, as, so early on, you're completely on the the teenage girl's side. Where you're like, God, mom, like, <laughs> uh, just let her live her life, mom. Um, 
gall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but then as things go on and you, you sort of, you get to know the mom better. And also you get to realize that, uh, you know, uh, as much as we have, uh, an, uh, you know, uh, autocratic leader right now, like w- Tunisia is not America and like the things that her, her mom are worried about yeah, are right. not petty things. Like she actually is putting herself, uh, in danger. Um, I really, yeah, I really, really liked, liked the movie and it has a bunch, like a bunch of really good music. I think, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I guess I don't know enough about Tunisian, the Tunisian folk rock scene. Oh, I can tell you um, all about it, <laughs> but, uh, for all I know, it's, uh, this is hacky music and I'm just not used to the, sure. the genre, but, um, uh, I, I really liked it, um, and uh, you can check it out. I think it's on. I think I watched it on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. Okay, it's three three movies down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Next. Oh, the, uh, this will give me a little bit of a break because you've seen this one. Oh boy! Finally caught up with Black Panther. Okay. Tyler, <laughs> you have no idea. Even more so than you. Okay. I mean, you liked the movie. Yeah, that was um, fine. But uh, you know, given how much the movie means to so many people, it hurts me to say that I didn't like it very much. I think basically I, I give Michael B. Jordan and the character of Killmonger an A plus. No question. Absolutely. I mean, I, in my limited experience with the Marvel cinematic universe, he's yeah. the best villain that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, I, the movie came to life for me every time that he was on screen. Other than that though, I kind of feel like it's really, um, the movie's too dry too boilerplate. It has so much plot. <laughs> so much plot and yeah. it spends so much time. It could have been not, two movies with that story. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it spends so much time. I don't, because not only does it have a lot of plot, it also has to introduce you to Wakanda itself and its history yeah. and how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so much of it felt so dry, not only like, okay, so here's the history of Wakanda. Okay. And here's how their, their rules of secession after a king passes away yeah. works. And here's the five different tribes and how that like, there's so much information that I never really felt like I could get into it, uh, from a, a an emotional standpoint and, until we get to Killmonger. And something that I was thinking about since seeing it and something that is notably different than other, uh, films in the, uh, MCU and this is not necessarily a complaint, but it does speak to what you're talking about, which is this has a, this is truly an ensemble movie. Like most MCU movies, they'll introduce the main character. There's usually a love interest. There's a villain. And then there's maybe two developed supporting characters. And then everybody else is not, they're one dimensional. Uh, this one has at least like six or seven developed characters you yeah. know some of them are undoubtedly supporting but yeah. they like Forrest Whitaker like they really want to develop that character Angela yeah. Bassett same deal and I feel like it's it's to the point where like they're introducing not merely Wakanda and all the rules but they're introducing a lot of characters the only one we know I guess we we've seen Andy Serkis before but we've mm-hmm. we've seen Black Panther before but even then that was in a supporting capacity and we don't know that much about him and so we kind of need to be reintroduced to him um speaking of Forrest Whitaker the um 
uh, I don't know. I'm assuming everyone's seen it, but this mild spoilers. They have an actor playing 1992, playing Forrest Whitaker's character in 1992. Yeah. And so I went like to Google image search and looked up images from the crying game, which came out in 1992. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, not really. Not <laughs> really. Yeah. They kind of did an eye thing to the guy. Like <laughs> they did. I don't know if you noticed. Like, I did they, notice that. Yes. Um, anyway. Um, so further complaints, unfortunately, two big ones. Um, I think as science fiction, I think it really falls flat. I think we learn the history of Wakanda, but the idea of there's so much potential there to show us how Wakandan society is not only more technologically advanced, but how it has shaped their culture. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we get a good sense of tech of, of Wakandan culture. It's basically just like, it's a pretty, you know, it's still like, it's it's still a war based yeah culture like you know everything is is um you know there's literal tribalism yeah. i guess and everyone uh, everyone seems to be preparing for war all the time yeah. right like so much of their technology quote unquote is weapons technology yeah um and you know the idea that they choose their king via like violent combat is like okay are you saying that having access to technology you know, didn't make them more enlightened than the rest of the world. It just made them have better weapons. That's a great it, point. I don't think I realize I, I thought that way. And I'm sure enough, a lot of other people didn't as well. Like this is an alternate timeline really. Yeah. And I was disappointed that it didn't, we don't see what kind of being particularly different than what, than the rest of the world that just has better weapons. Like, yeah, like it's, uh, one of the things that I loved about the movie arrival, which I think is a great example of modern sci-fi is that when we're introduced to the aliens, everything about them is foreign, literally like they operate on a level that we can't even begin to understand. And if, if you have a society that has access to this astonishing alien technology that can do all kinds of things, then they would have that, that society would have evolved on a path that the rest of us can't even come close to. But yeah, ultimately it's like, cool. it's like, Oh yeah, it's like, uh, it's like a city, but, uh, you know, fucking hoverboards or whatever, <laughs> right, you yeah. know? Um, I was going to ask you, did you ever read, but I think you did cause we read it in a class unless you skipped the reading. Did you read the book Dawn by Octavia Butler? Uh, in which a, the, in which a woman is abducted by aliens. It is. Yes. It's, the, that book is so good. Uh, and, and it is like, the aliens are so different to uh, and yeah. she does a good job as a writer putting us in the head of this woman who is abducted. The aliens are so different mm-hmm. that the woman's initial reaction just of looking at them is complete fear and revulsion. Yeah. Um, because her mind can't even comprehend them because yeah. they're so, uh, that's a Dawn is a great, great book. Um, and then another I don't think I finished it now that I think about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, another complaint, and this is one that I left the theater saying to to natalie um now again i haven't seen that many of the marvel movies there's like 18 of them there are 18 yeah. now i think i've seen six let's run it down you got your iron man i've seen iron man i've seen thor i've seen incredible, both avengers incredible hulk i'm not seeing incredible hulk okay uh, i've seen both avengers i've seen both guardians okay you saw ant-man i saw ant-man and so i think this makes eight unless i'm missing one in there somewhere I, I don't oh, think Doctor you are. Strange. Oh, you saw so, Doctor Strange. So I've oh, okay. I've seen half of them. Hey, that's not bad. All right, that's not bad. So wait, wait let me see if I okay. Let me see if I can count the nine I'm missing. That's okay. gonna be the tough part. Okay. Incredible Hulk, 
Um, both Iron Man sequels, both Thor sequels, and all three Captain Americas gets me to eight. I'm missing another one. Do you know what it is? Hang on. Probably. Give me a second. No. What am I missing? Um, oh, well. I'm sure I'll know. think of it at some point. Unless yeah. there are only 17 and, I'm, and I did the... I think there's... I, I think with Black Panther, I think we're at 18. Okay. Um, yeah, I feel like there's a really obvious one that I'm missing. Probably, yeah. It's probably um, worth noting that we can't think of it. <laughs> uh, or I just counted wrong. Anyway, so of the... Of the Marvel movies I have seen, this is by far the least funny. And I don't mean that it's oh, the most yeah. serious. I mean that fewer of the jokes are funny than in any Marvel movie I've seen. You know? Um, Maybe there are only 17 now that I look at it. All right. Well, let's, uh, I, I, don't, I clearly don't have your full attention right now. Okay. So sorry. Let's run them down. Let's okay. run them down. <clears throat> From the beginning. From the very beginning? Yes. Okay. You got your Iron Man. Seen it? Iron Man 2. Nope. Incredible Hulk. Nope. Thor. Nope. Oh, yes. Saw that one. First Captain America. Nope. Avengers. Uh, yes, that's a scene. Okay. Iron Man 3. Nope. Uh, let's see. Thor 2. Uh, no. Guardians of the Galaxy. Saw it. Uh, Captain America 2. Nope. Avengers Age of Ultron. Saw it. We're at 11. Okay. Ant Man. Saw it. We're at 12. And we're uh, right. At the, we're tied right now. Six and okay. six. Guardians two. Saw it. Captain America: Civil War. Nope. We're at fourteen. Still tied. Okay, I'm trying to go in the order that they were released, and I yeah, think I'm way I'm off. Trying. Thor Ragnarok. Uh, nope. Doctor Strange. Yes, that's not the order they were released, though. Right. No, I know. Okay. Uh, let's see. So we are at we're at sixteen. Black Panther. Ant Man. Did I say Ant Man? No, I don't think you did. No, I did. I said it's it's directly after Age of Ultron. All right, so there's 17. Okay, so anyway, what I'm saying is, yeah, there's comic relief in the movie that is not funny. I think the closest to funny, I wouldn't even call it funny, but the the most entertaining, I guess, is just Andy Serkis being way way over the top, just like hamming it up. <laughs> yeah, I liked I liked that in comparison to other stuff. But I did thought, you not care for Black Panther's sister? I liked her. No, no. I mean, I, I like Letitia Wright, and this isn't her fault. The jokes aren't funny. And there's a, oh, my God. There's a what are those joke. Is, that it, meme is like two and a half years old. And I don't even, I didn't even know the meme at the time because um, I'm not you're very plugged into things. Yes. But what I'm now what I'm wondering is, is the nostalgia cycle so quick now? That this isn't an out of date joke anymore. It's a nostalgia joke. It's like, hey, remember what are those? Yeah. Like, is that what's happened? Or did this thing get written two and a half years ago and no one at any point thought to say, you can't put a what are those joke in this 2018 movie? Like, memes become old in 48 hours, you know? Yeah. What were you thinking? Well, maybe it's, they, uh, you know. Maybe they just got it in Wakanda. Like it just showed up there, <laughs> you know? Um, and also like, there's a thing with trying out the suit and she like records it and she's like, it's for research, but clearly she just wants, that's like, that's like TGIF sitcom level humor. Yeah. That didn't work for me. I feel like Martin Freeman's character is supposed to be funny. Um, but, 
Oh. I think a lot of stuff around his character is supposed to be funny. I don't think he is meant to be funny. I feel like maybe I'm, maybe I'm projecting like Tim from the office onto him, but I feel like his reactions to, cause he keeps finding sure. himself around things that he doesn't understand or doesn't expect. I feel like his reactions are supposed to be funny. Like he's kind of supposed to be our way in as someone who is, you know, not, not familiar with Wakanda, Wakanda right, right. at all, but I didn't think it was very funny. Um, yeah. Really, I just thought I was, um, I'm going to say, because I'm still kind of the psychopath who liked Punisher comics as a kid, I'm going to say I was pleasantly surprised at how many people get killed in this movie, which is a ton. Like, yeah, I guess. Done, I guess Black Panther doesn't have the code that the other Marvel people have about yeah. murder. Like, he kills people throughout the movie. Um, yeah, I guess yeah. I guess we don't have to worry about that ensemble problem by the end of the movie, because like a good portion of them are gone. Yeah, Um and then, yeah, Michael B. Jordan was great. His character is great. And his, the, the, the final scene that he's in today, I don't know, again, yeah. I don't want to dance around, uh, you know, spoilers, I guess, but, um, that final scene and his final words yeah. are so stirring and so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, I kind of actually walked out of the movie that was, again, I, I saw this with Natalie. So I was talking to her and I was kind of like, Based on that part, and I liked the the sort of denouement as well mm-hmm. um, uh, of going back to Oakland and, and stuff like that. I liked like from that point to the end. I was like, maybe the maybe part of the reason people are so effusive about this movie is because they're walking out of the theater having just seen those last seven minutes, which are so good. If I think so, I think when people talk about the movie, they wind up talking way more about him, which is not surprising. Like his character, I've said it before is very similar to Magneto as far as like what his goals are. And invariably when people talk about like the newer X-Men movies, they always talk about Magneto first, partially as a function of the performance, but also just the way he is written. Like, the appeal of those character, those villains is that they have a point and yeah, the point remember, is really well executed. The only one of the newer X-Men movies I saw was first class. And I remember I might've even said in my review at the time that it feels like a really good Magneto movie sort of yeah. padded out with a bunch of like yeah. breakfast clubs, kid like stuff that I don't like. And I liked apocalypse more than most, but everybody agrees that the Magneto stuff in there is marvelous. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's when I remember, uh, you know, I'm not going to take anything away from the film as a cultural moment uh, and and people feeling encouraged by like, oh, this I have a superhero who looks like me, whatever it is. And it's um, hugely popular it, and successful. It, yes, is, yes. I, I think even though I overall no. was let down by the movie, I still think that's a good thing yeah. that this movie has made as much money as it has. I think it's good for us and I think in what, general as movie lovers. Well, and what I'll say is, so somebody, this guy at, at school who is a fellow white man was talking about black Panther and he was excited to see it. And he goes, he's like, cause I just really want that movie to do like really well because of what it represents. And part of me is like, I get what you mean but it was always going to do well. Like it's a Marvel film. It was always going to do well. I'm much more excited at the fact that get out made as much money as it did. Yeah. uh, Almost exactly a year ago at this point, because that is first off, it's a horror movie, which is exciting. And it was not guaranteed to make money. Right. And it made, it makes its points so well. And, and it's also just a great movie. And it's just a great movie. Yeah. 
and one that I think that, you know, I mean, did anybody think that when Get Out came out, did anybody think that we were going to be seeing any type of Oscar recognition? Do we think that the may, that the lead actor was going to get nominated for best actor? Like right, that's, yeah. that's, it's crazy to think about that. It got as much acceptance financially and, uh, artistically and, and critically as it did. And so like, it's one of those things like, by all means, yes, I'm happy Black Panther made a bunch of money. Good for you. But, you know, as far as these like landmark films that came out in February and they represent a community that is underrepresented, right. like I don't have to. It's not like you have to pick one over that's the other, that's but Get Out is a much them, Get Out is a much better. It's like when people I, I guess this argument's a couple years old and people are like. Uh, who you like better, Jennifer Lawrence or Anne Hathaway? It's like, why do I have to like? Yeah. Wait, on what like level? On what playing field are they competing? But that <laughs> we do have a tendency to like sort of group things, I guess. Yeah. To, together. So um, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm happy for both movies. But yeah, Get Out's a better movie. Much. Um, anyway, uh, and then next one before I finally get to toss it over to you, I watched such a good inspirational sports documentary okay and i know that's a subgenre. i'm not sure if you're into those um some of them tend to really work for me for some okay. reason i'm sure i could be if I, I could you know someone twisted my arm i could enjoy them um so this is a documentary it's called next goal wins okay and it is a documentary about the american samoan uh i guess national soccer team national is not the right word i not sure what you because they're a territory u.s territory universal um what's that universal that's the word you're looking for Universal soccer team? Yep. No, it's not. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it is. <laughs> um, but you know what I'm saying? They're the team yes. that represents, an international play, the team that represents American Samoa. Um, um, can you name all five inhabited U.S. territories? Because I had to look it up because there's one that I always forget. Hang on. No. Okay, so there's Puerto Rico, as we know. Oh, okay. Yes, okay, Puerto Rico. Yeah, because uh, there's, there's islands that the U.S. owns as territories that are uninhabited. Okay, I think I did not understand the question. Okay, yes. okay. so five U.S. territories that are inhabited by citizens. Okay, uh, yeah, Puerto Rico is uh-huh. a big one. Which, it bothers me that it's not the 51st state. I think we're, we just did, like, when we were younger, they were talking all about it, but I think we like the idea of just... 50. Well, we we the, stopped at but I'm 50. I'm saying we can go up to an easy 55. That's a nice round number. There you right? go. We got now we have five. Okay, so we um, got Puerto Rico. American Samoa. American Samoa. Um, let's see. I can't, I, I couldn't Guam. name. Oh, Guam. Yeah, of course. The U.S. That's Virgin big, Islands. Yeah. And then the one I always forget, which now I'm forgetting how to say it. It's called like the Northern Mauritius Islands. Oh, boy. Yeah, I always forget about that one. Um, anyway. So anyway, this is a documentary about the American Samoan uh, soccer team who are at the time of the documentary, uh, at the time it started being made, the worst team ranked dead last in the FIFA world rankings. They have as a team and like a FIFA accredited international team, they have never won a game. And in fact, they hold the record for most goals scored against in a single game in 2001 australia beat them 31 to nothing and if you've watched <laughs> world cup soccer when they when the scores are often one to one at the end yeah. like you know 31 goals to nothing is um just crushing you know um and so this documentary takes place at a time when they are gearing up for the 2014 world cup qualifying matches and 
um, because this is U.S. territory, U.S. the U.S. soccer, which is like the official board, you know, or not board <clears throat> organization that oversees, um, you know, the national soccer teams, uh, hires or or pays a coach to go down and coach them. And also, you know how like smaller countries in the Olympi- Olympics will often have like. Well, that guy's an American, but because his like oh, grandfather, sure. so sure. they end up getting a couple of American players who have American Samoan um, ancestors. So they get it. You know, I wouldn't go so far so far to call them ringers because if they were like great, they'd be on the right. U.S. soccer team. But yeah. they're better than the American Samoan players. And right. you get this coach, this Dutch coach, um, who uh, is imagine if Anthony Bourdain were a soccer coach. And also we're like really angry all the time. Okay. So he shows up and he's got this like, you know, Dutch accent. He's talks like a sailor. He's screaming at these people. Um, but he also part of the, like part of the fun of it is that he, uh, kind of, as we do falls in love with the team, these okay. like scrappy underdogs, um, who really care and want to win, even though the, all they, all they ever, ever do is lose. Okay. Um, and then you've, it's, uh, here's the thing I was thinking about after I watched it. Sometimes it feels odd to me to talk about people in a documentary as characters. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. But I also think that comes down to the documentarian and the editor to form characters, if you will, out of the people. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And by those standards, Next Goal Wins has a great cast of characters. It really lets you get to know a certain group of these people in the coach um, and the coach's wife and, and some other people from the organization um, really well, really individualistic um, uh, on an individualistic basis. Um, it's also surprisingly funny. Um, there's one, <laughs> they send a sports psychologist to like try and get these guys more motivated. Motivation is clearly not their problem. And this guy's in, like, I feel bad for the guy, but he's a, an idiot. Okay. He's telling a story about like, uh, he's trying, he's trying to tell an inspirational story about a blind man who climbed Mount Everest, but he says, do you guys know what Mount Everest is? It's the tallest mountain in North America. <laughs> um, anyway, and there's just like shots of them just like stone faced, but polite, like yeah. <laughs> watching this guy. Um, uh, there's also, um, when they go to the, go to the 2014, um, um, uh, qualifying tournament, they, um, I guess made history because they had, they have on their team, a, um, a trans woman. Okay. Um, which is, I guess an interesting thing, you know, she lived, she, apparently she goes to university, goes to college in Hawaii and lives in Hawaii as a woman. Okay. American Samoan culture, um, like a few other cultures has sort of, uh, it has a third gender essentially oh, okay. that transgender people sort of generally fall, fall into. So she goes by she, even though she was born Johnny, you know, she goes by Jaya. People say she, but she's not really living as a woman. She's just living as herself. Okay. Um, anyway, she was the first, um, first trans woman to start, not play in, but Got to it. start a FIFA, FIFA game. Um, and the picture of American Samoa, uh, that this movie paints is uh, really beautiful, even though it's a very poor place. Um, most of the um, young people, if they can afford to, they go to the States. And if they can't afford to, they often join the military in order mm-hmm. to go to the States. That's like 
there are so so little industry, so few jobs on the island that a lot of Samoans, um, American Samoans, um, uh, end up becoming uh, uh, military. Um, and yeah, I also have to say American Samoa because Samoa is right. a place, and so it is interesting to me. They always refer to it as Mer- American Samoa the entire time, no. or they say in the way that they pronounce it, American Samoa. Samoa. They put the emphasis on hmm. Sa Samoa. Uh, it, but at the end of the documentary, it, it sounds perfectly natural. But now that I'm saying it now, it's like weird to get out. Um, but uh, I guess it's 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 really nice to see this culture that is. Um, I'm dancing around this because I don't want to uh, sound like I'm making assumptions about American Christians. Oh, good. But American Samoa is an incredibly devoutly Christian place. Okay. And also this gender thing is just a part of the culture and is not tied up in that. And mm. I feel like so much of the, so much anti trans stuff seems to come in America from the Christian right. Do you know what I mean? I haven't encountered that much of it, but at the same time I live in Los Angeles, right, like that, it, it makes it, that does make a difference. Well, but I guess what I'm saying is that when the things like the bathroom bill in North Carolina, or sure, other states sure. that have that seem to be the reasoning by the, you know, it's usually a Republican, uh, mm-hmm. congressman legislators. And a lot of the reasoning seems to be about, uh, seems to come from a sort of religious, what God intended quote unquote type of argument. Sure. And so, um, to see, you know, I think I'm lucky enough to know people like you and other, uh, Christians who, um, help me break that, that knee jerk association. But I think it is, it, 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 I think a person in America or looking at America also to a certain extent couldn't be blamed for associating American Christians, at least with so much of the anti-trans, uh, atmosphere. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a politicization mm-hmm. of, and I'll just, that's the word I'm going to use of, uh, faith that hopefully will eventually go away. Um, cause yeah, it's, it winds up being like a Republican thing, which the concept of like the Christian, right? Like I feel like slowly, but surely we're breaking those things apart. But, uh, yeah, that's not going to go away anytime soon. Especially since the, uh, Christian light, right. Helped elect the least Christian president we've ever had. I know. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, anyway, so it was a really interesting and kind of heartwarming to see this, the, the, you know, that American Samoans are, uh, in general, you know, they tend to be very devout and also, yeah. um, there's no harassment or judgment of Jaya no. uh, at all. Um, and, uh, yeah, the reason she ends up starting is, um, the coach kind of decides like he doesn't say it like this. So basically he, he realizes the best player on, the, on this team isn't that much better than the worst player on this team. So I'm going to start <laughs> the people who seem to care the most. Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to start based on heart, not skill. All and right. so that's how she, uh, Jaya ends up being a, a starter and I'll leave it to you to watch the movie, uh, to see, um, how they do in the FIFA qualifying, uh, matches. I will tell you that I cried. Oh, okay. Um, which could go either way. Yeah. But uh, it's a very, it's, this movie is so good. Like, I, I don't understand sometimes how 
this seems like a movie that should like have been like a March of the Penguins type. It's so inspirational. It's so much fun to watch. It's only, you know, a hundred minutes or whatever. It's like, it seems so ready made mm-hmm. that I wonder if, is it just about like distribution and PR? Did it oh, yes. not, it just didn't get out there because this could have been like an Oscar winning, like yeah. the, the Academy would have loved this movie. Cause it's like I said, it's all inspirational and fun. And also it has these like, you know, positive messages and stuff. It's next yeah. wins is something that I think, could have taken the world by storm because of that element. I'm surprised that it didn't, that there wasn't a push for it because then it's like, okay, there's, there's something for everybody here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you never quite know. Yeah. Um, and it's something that, uh, taking this film marketing class has been super helpful for me to see kind of the, the behind the scenes mentality, um, and sometimes it has made me very cynical and mm-hmm. other times it's just interesting. Um, and so, and there, there are times that like awards, um, publicity, you know, which is its own separate cottage industry. Um, they will look back, like a, a studio will look back on a movie that they did not get behind at all and realize shit. Hmm. We really like the studio didn't, do anything with greatest showman they could have. Mm-hmm. And if they did it, they could have gotten some, probably a lot of, I mean, it was nominated for song, Yeah, but it could have been up for like costume art direction, stuff like that. Well, if it had been up for a- actor, I wouldn't have had to made, had, had to make a trade in the draft. I know if it had been up for anything, uh, <laughs> then I would have, uh, I would have smoked everybody and not, it wouldn't have been so close at the end. Um, well, yeah, you got nothing to complain about. I know I'm going to be all right, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, okay. Um, is it my turn? Yeah, but I felt like there was something else I was going to say real quick about, okay. about what you just said. Oh yeah. It reminds me, I remember, you know, when I was, um, in high school and like early college when my, when my dad was still around mm. and he'd like show an interest he in because in these movies like movies that i like these independent movies yeah. um and i remember i feel like there was more than one that he had this reaction to, but the one i really remember was did you ever see the Tao of steve do you know that movie with uh is that um, with the donald Lowe? Yeah, yeah 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 okay um and i remember watching with my dad and i think he just had this assumption that these independent movies i was, was watching were all like weird or fringy or like super dark or violent or something yeah. like was weird and he watched this and he was like he was like, that was good. Why the hell have I not heard of that movie? I remember my dad saying, no. why the hell haven't I heard of that movie? Uh, and I think that happens. That happens a lot. Yeah. It's very depressing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's another thing that they've talked a lot about is there are times that like, and it, and it's, it can be encouraging. It's at moments where, you know, somebody, uh, a publicist or, or a marketing person, they're just, you know, they're thrown this movie by the studio and then they're like, all right, do what you got to do. We don't have a lot of money. So, mm-hmm. and then they want, and then the, the marketing person watches it and they're like, no, 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 this will find an audience. We, and they will like, they're like, we need more money for this because this is a film that I know you don't think is that important, but it's actually good and we can champion it mm-hmm. and we can get it to people that would really enjoy it. It doesn't happen that often, but it can happen. Um, so, uh, okay. So I saw, I want to make sure I get the, okay. So John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein's game night. Gotta see this. Everyone loves it. 
I'm not sure if I'd say I love it, but there are a lot of things I love about it. Um, it is, if you know, at the very least, I really, really like it. Uh, it's a really nice little action comedy, but mostly comedy, but like with these thriller elements and great performances all around. You kind of expect this type of thing from Jason Bateman that he's kind of this everyman who, and there's a real sense of desperation to him and uh, a certain darkness. Um, Rachel McAdams is also just a, a delight. And what's more is their relationship is totally believable as a married couple. Um, like the shorthand they have, the jokes that they share, it seems very lived in and they have like a really natural chemistry. Um, as people that are still in love and have been in love for a while. So it's not the kind of chemistry that we see, not that it's a romantic film, but you know, when we talk about chemistry, we talk about like, Oh, these two characters, it's like this crackling energy. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, they've been married a while. It's not necessarily this crackling energy. It's just this familiar, uh, familiar affection that they have towards each other. And it's, it's quite nice. Um, but the cast all around is, is really good. It's a nice ensemble film. Um, and, I laughed hard at a lot of sequences um, from a filmmaking standpoint. There's uh, they have some really, really nice little, not, not so much set pieces, but there are little, there are little touches. Like for example, I don't know how they do it, but they will shoot like a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like basically a helicopter shot, but they shoot in a very specific way. Uh, and I couldn't tell, I don't know enough about lenses or anything to tell you how, but they shoot it in a way that make you, it, it feels like you were looking at a model, mm. like, like a model train set or something like that. And then it zooms in and you realize like, Oh no, this is like actual life. And they shoot, they, they start a, a good number of scenes that way. And it is almost as though you are looking at pieces on a board right. yeah. and it's like, Oh, what a neat idea. Um, but I think by far the, the most, uh, my big takeaway from this is that Jesse Plemons is a nat- is a national treasure mm-hmm. and you know I've liked him in uh, in a number of things yeah. I and I'm excited that he that his career has has been as successful as it is yeah um and and he's always been funny but there's something about his his deadpan character in this film I feel like even if the rest of the film wasn't that good but it is even if the rest of the film weren't that good I would recommend people see the film for his character um he's absolutely uh hilarious and but the rest of the movie is good too so I it's it seems like it's so rare to see a good comedy I I really want to see it because not only does everyone seem to like it everyone seems to latch onto different things it seems to be good in so many different ways they talk about like you talk about the you know, stylistically, yeah. we'll talk about the characters or just talk about the jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, uh, my coworker who likes, you know, classic screwball comedies was mm. like, she's like, I'm so sick of modern comedies that are, you know, just too much. It's violent or she's, you know, yeah. she liked old fashioned movies and she doesn't yeah. like, uh, toilet humor or whatever. I'm not sure. sure she would say. She was like, she was like this uh reminded me of like a screwball comedy and that everyone's constantly talking and there's constant jokes within the dialogue that's true yes uh and you know what else it is it's i wouldn't say it's a parody of this or a satire or even a send-up but it definitely is a little nod to movies like the game mm-hmm. 
or Now You See Me or any of those movies where it's like, aha, you think it's this, but behold, I was in charge the whole time or whatever yeah. it is. And they ha- and just like what you think you know is not true at all. And they have like five or six of those reveals, That's great. but like in the best possible way to the point where, and then they make jokes about those reveals and it's just a, it's, it's really fun. I can't wait to see it. All right. Um, catching up to this week, I saw Ava DuVernay's A Wrinkle in Time. Okay. Uh, one of two movies that came out this weekend that I'm uh, I, apparently in the critical minority by actually really liking. Okay. Um, a Wrinkle in Time is, and I'd never read the book. I didn't I, I didn't actually know what it was about. I assumed it was about time travel, which it's not. Uh, yeah, I, I never read it either. But like yeah. a lot of people that I knew growing up read it and loved it. Um, yeah, yeah. My, my wife had, had read it when she was uh, a kid, apparently. Um, um, but, uh, so yeah, I didn't realize what it was, what it was about. And it really reminded me of, I feel like hmm, this is something that's on my mind because we might be talking about this in our main episode this week, but I feel like so much of, there's so much eighties throwback stuff Mm -hmm. right now that is more about just sort of like, redoing or, you know, paying homage to building shrines to sort yeah. of the, uh, recreating the look, you know, of, of, uh, movies from the 1980s. But a wrinkle in time is a movie that is clearly made now, but also more so than any of those other eighties throwback things reminds me of things like labyrinth or never ending story okay. or time bandits, these eighties sort of youth oriented, I guess. Yeah fantasy movies, you know, um, that also, by the way, aren't afraid to put kids in danger, which is is important. There are films that are, were very unnerving to me as a kid. Yeah. And I think there's stuff, uh, in this movie, uh, especially it's later in the movie. So I'm going to do too much detail, but the, uh, Michael Pena stuff, I think will, will give some kids some nightmares because it's, it's, uh, it's scary, but it's not like, but like, yeah. you know, it's not Tim, Tim Curry and legend scary, which is scary. Sure. It's like, this is weird, scary. It's more like Pennywise. Yeah. I, I compared him to Pennywise okay. in my, uh, in my review. Um, uh, and, uh, I feel like what I was going to say something else, uh, about that. Ah, I completely lost my train of thought mm. <laughs> by going off on the kids in danger thing. I had something else to say about the 1980s, um, youth, youth oriented, uh, thing, but it is, it's, a uh, you know, it's clearly Ava DuVernay having a blast with Disney's budget. There's, you know, it's a big, beautiful movie. Um, it has this great cast. I mean, you've got, um, the only one of the three kids that I knew, um, is Levi Miller from better watch out. Yeah. Um, and, uh, pan, which I didn't, I didn't see pan. Um, so I only know him from, from better watch out. He's a very different character from his better watch out character. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a good egg here. Um, and then you've got Chris Pine and Gugu and Batara as the, as the, the, the parents. And then you've got, um, the, the three misses, uh, Mrs. What's it, Mrs. Who and Mrs. Which, uh, are played by Reese Witherspoon, Minnie Kaling and Oprah Winfrey. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like most of the marketing has been around. I like, I knew that going in yeah. like for, for whatever reason. um, and they're all great. I think Mrs. What's it, uh, which is Reese Witherspoon's character is my favorite because I think there's kind of just a conceptual joke in the idea of, um, an ancient immortal being who has no patience. Hmm. <laughs> um, I find That's that fine. very funny. And then they meet other people along the way, including the aforementioned Michael Pena and Zach Galifianakis, who also gets to be very hmm. funny, um, as sort of a, uh, new agey type of seer type of guy. Cool. Um, uh, 
Yeah, it's it's a, a lot of fun. It's a it's beautiful to look at. And also, I think the early section before it goes into the fantasy is it felt odd to me at the time. And it kind of made sense in retrospect. I think it'll probably make more sense if I watch it again, where like it was started to introduce these fantastical elements because the Mrs. W's show up in the real in our world. Mm hmm. But the movie didn't see. I was like, "Why is it being shot this way?" Like, and I feel like there's not an appreciation for the scope and scale of this fantasy. And I realized it was kind of on purpose because Meg, the main character, um, is a, a skeptic um, and is very uh, sort protective of herself, mm-hmm. um, uh, not very trusting. And so I think the movie is kind of refusing to accept the 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 magic of it all because it's adopting Meg's point of view. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's not until they um, go through the wrinkle in time. It's not in, you know, until they, until they actually go to another world and Meg like can no longer deny it that suddenly the scope of the movie gets so much bigger. It's almost kind of a black and white color, like was yeah. a positive thing in retrospect. Um, Cause I remember being thrown off when I think, you know, Miss, Mrs. Watson, Reese Witherspoon is the first of these, you know, magical beings to show up. And I was like, I guess because I know what movie I'm watching, I know that she's telling the truth about who she is, but the way this is being shot, the sort of naturalist way this is being shot, this could just be a crazy lady in a gown. You know what I mean? Um, and I I like that in retrospect, it did feel off in the moment, but, uh, uh, yeah, uh, good movie. Um, uh, not, not here for other people who are, uh, I don't know, dissonant. I'm suddenly in the mood to watch Coraline. Oh, that's a good movie. Um, okay. And then, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm catching up on criterion discs from the past year and okay. maybe off mic, we can go into why I have to do that. Okay. Um, but, uh, I watched, um, a Mexican film from 1975 called Kanoa or Kanoa, a shameful memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, this thing is, it's so good, but it is a rough watch. Um, it kind of reminded me of the films of Costa Gavras in that it's sort of um, a docudrama, but um, it's based on a real event that it, take, it was from 1968. So it was only seven years before the movie came out in which um, five uh, young men traveled from the city of Puebla to this small town. They were actually, they were going to the mountain to hike. They got trapped in a small town because of the storm and were looking for shelter. And four of the five of them were murdered by the townspeople because the townspeople mistook them or for some reason were led to believe that they were communist activists who had come to mm. desecrate the church or whatever. Yeah. Um, and this is 1968, you know, communist, you know, young, young communist activists and protests were happening all over the world. In fact, only I think weeks or days in the movie, it's days. I'm not sure if they fudged it a little bit weeks or days before this thing happened. Communist protesters were shot, were gunned down by police in Mexico city. Mm. There's a scene in this movie where, that report is on the news. So this is very, very much something that's in the air. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, the director of Felipe Casales, um, lays it out. Like, like I said, a docudrama, he's, he, he starts with the aftermath. We don't see the aftermath. We see a reporter reporting on what's happened. Mm -hmm. And then he jumps back to, um, a couple days before and sort of builds up with occasional time cards. Like, here's the date. And then once it, once it gets to the day of, which is less than halfway through the movie, um, it starts going by hours. This is, you know, 3 PM. This is 6 PM. This is 8 PM. Um, and so we know that by midnight, like these guys are, uh, going to get killed. 
Um, and so, but he's, un, he's, he's uh, parallel editing between these guys who are just looking for a, you know, uh, weekend getaway to go camp go hike and camp. Um, and the small town, which, and here's, I think where, you know, I, I don't want to speak to the truth of all this. I don't know how mm-hmm. much of this is, um, Sleepy Cazales or other people speculating or having an agenda, but the town as they paint it is basically run. It's a very secluded small town of very poor people, very devout Catholics, more than half of whom don't speak Spanish. They speak indigenous languages. (laughs) Um, And the local priest essentially runs the town like he's the what i'm trying to he's like the i mean mr burns is a comical reference but that's sort of like basically um he um like he treats tithes like like a bill like you have to pay a certain amount right you are issued a receipt and if you come to the church because you need a priest for a wedding funeral last rites baptism whatever you have to produce your receipts or you're not getting this um, oh boy. And, and there are a number of townspeople who are almost like he, he's a cult leader, like so willing to go along with it. Yeah. And there's some who are, who are not. And, um, basically these guys have the misfortune of meeting someone who take, who gives them shelter, who is on the outsider list, who is not willing to go along with this yeah. priest. They're already expecting communists to come anyway. Cause this priest is, we've thrown up into a frenzy. And so, um, yeah, the movie kind of, you know, it lets you know what's going to happen. It delays. It's a sickening buildup to a payoff that is way more intense and graphic, I think, than I expected it to be. Even yeah. though I, I should have known. Um, but it's a uh, it is a rough watch, uh, but it's so well made. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm a big fan of Costa Gavras. So anything that remain reminds me of Costa Gavras, sure. uh, I'm going to like. OK, that's all right. Next up. OK, next up on the. Trent, hold on, hold on. Say something for a second. Oh, boy. Ugh. Who's got the energy, you know what I mean? All right, next up on the train of movies that are coming out this weekend that no one liked but me, apparently. Okay. I saw, and maybe this is just low expectations. I saw Nash Edgerton's Gringo. This oh, okay. movie that I feel like I hadn't heard anything about, and then it started showing up. Um, yeah. But I think this is, it's because it's, um, <clears throat> it's from uh, um, STX Entertainment, who are kind of like a, fledgling you know they're yeah so it's not coming from any one of the main studios but it's coming from it has some money behind it there's clearly some money in marketing at least yeah. even los angeles there are ads for gringo everywhere yeah um uh and really cool you know there's like billboards but then they also do they're also like character specific ads yeah. anyway you've seen them i'm not sure if they're yes. up uh, in other parts of the country or whatever um and uh it's I talked extensively, my review's up on the website, you can read it, and I I talked extensively about the sort of post-Pulp Fiction wave of darkly comic crime thrillers. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, uh, in, you know, sort of finding their crescendo in Lock, Stock, and Snatch. Yeah. Uh, And this movie, I feel like if it came out in that era, it would have been seen as on the better side of these things. Yeah. I, I do think it's quite good. It's got great performances. It's got a fantastic cast. The premise, if I can run it down and try to ca- catch everyone, 
So David Oyelowo plays a um, sort of middle manager at a pharmaceutical company in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He works in the headquarters. Um, he's ha- you know having marriage troubles with his wife, played by Tandy Newton. His bosses are Joel Edgerton, who's his old ch- college buddy, and um, Charlize Theron. And uh, the pharmaceutical company has a plant in Veracruz, Mexico. And so occasionally, as part of Harold's job, he has to go down there mm-hmm. um, take care of business or whatever. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't want to get too much into the spoilers either. So that's who they are. And then at the same time, you've got all the Mexican characters. You've got Yul Vazquez. Uh, you know Yul Vazquez? We've talked about him before. Yeah. He's the... Um, He's the um, intimidating, bullying gay man with the accent oh, from Seinfeld. Okay. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's he's been in a ton of stuff, and I, feel, <laughs> I know I feel bad that I always use that as an example, but it is it's helpful. Who <laughs> yeah. that is. But he's been in a, a he's a great actor, and he's not just a comic actor. So you've got Yul Vazquez, who plays kind of a, a the the driver who when when David Yellow was down there drives him around. Mm-hmm. But there might be more to him. Oh, uh, you've got then you've got like the crime the 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 drug kingpin and you've got his whole band of uh of uh, of of henchmen and, and and such and then you've got harry harry treadaway and amanda seafried who is who are in essentially a completely other story that ends up overlapping um and then you've got an actor that i i feel like you aren't quite as on board with this guy as i am but every time i see charlotte copley in something i'm like i love this guy i love his energy even I, in a movie i don't I like, don't, like I, don't dis, I don't dislike him but i really like his energy in everything um yeah no i mean it's i think i think uh having not seen uh stuff like free fire or whatever uh yeah. what i have yeah. seen uh I feel like he's underutilized. I remember I really liked him in Europa Report, but I also wanted more from him. Uh, I thought he was, well, I think almost everything about Elysium is bad. Right. Um, but I thought like, like, no, you've got a really good actor here and a really inter- with a really interesting energy. Yeah. You just got to use him right. Yeah. And, and if you find somebody who does, then by all means, like, well, go ahead. That's great. I'm going to describe two characters, the drug kingpin and Charlotte Coley's character. The first one is going to be talking about this nineties, these nineties movies. The first one is going to make you roll your eyes and made me roll my eyes. Okay. Drug Kingpin is someone who likes to torture and kill people while asking them about their favorite Beatles albums. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's a, that seems so of the era. Yeah. The Charlotte Copley character also is quirky in the nineties way, but in a way that I think is really interesting. And I, maybe it's just Charlotte Copley plays it well, but he's a mercenary. He's like a special ops guy for yeah. hire who does bad illegal shit, but uses the money to funnel into charities in Haiti and other de- developing nations to provide food and water, water and shelter for, uh, for the needy. Right. And so he like morally when he's like, okay, instead of kidnapping this guy, we need you to kill him. And he's like, morally he's like, okay, I'll do it for this much money because that'll provide this many homes yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, that, that's a, an interesting character. Um, uh, I stopped talking about the plot specifically at a certain point because it has a a bunch of um, you know double crosses and twists and no. and turns and uh, kidnappings plural and faked kidnappings plural. Um, uh, it also ha- yeah it has a pretty big bo- body count um, and I think it's uh, it's fairly funny. Do you mostly think it's- because I think David Oyelowo I don't I I haven't seen him in that much especially not I haven't seen him funny. Yeah, I don't think I have either. So funny in this. Um, uh, Yeah, he even like 
silly thing. Like there's a thing where he has to get a, a shot and he's afraid of needles and just his, his, his reaction to the needle. So it's not even like a joke on the page. It's just no. him being funny. Uh, not something that I feel like I've seen that much from David. Yellow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think of him as like madcap, but when I saw the trailer, <laughs> yeah. I was like, Hey, that's yeah. neat. Yeah. Uh, um, but also, so Nash Edgerton, if you were guessing, you guessed correctly. This is Joe Edgerton's brother. Son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> but he's, um, uh, I think, so I think the movie looks nice or looks, you know, serviceably like a sort of crime thriller. Mm. Um, but one thing I've realized, and I don't want to say that this movie is in, uh, implied that this movie is on the same, uh, level as something like John Wick or Atomic Blonde. Sure. But I've come to realize, cause you know, you and I have like, uh, maybe you even more so than me, like being skeptical when non-directors step behind the camera for the first time. Yes. I think for some reason, stuntmen and stunt coordinators seem to be well suited to it. Sure. Because, uh, he does have a, uh, a, a really clear cut, coherent eye for action and for, um, letting the action be funny when it needs to be. There's a part, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen this. It's in, I watched a few different trailers and TV spots just to make sure it's in every one of the trailers. So you've seen it. Yeah. There's a part where David Yellow is trying to escape Charlotte Copley. He's scaling a wall in a parking garage and Charlotte Copley runs up behind him. And instead of pulling him down, just throws his duffel bag at him. So it knocks him off the wall and he falls to the ground. <laughs> and, uh, and Nash Edgerton shoots it in like a wide shot. So you can see the whole stunt. It's like, it's an impressive stunt because this yeah. guy really did fall like five to six feet and land on his back, you know? Yeah. And also because it's from a distance, it's funny. Yeah. Um, which is why it's in the trailer. Uh, I really think it's a really well-made movie and I feel like, uh, I walked out being like, man, it's weird. Like, where did that come from? Uh, but then when the embargo lifted this morning, just looking and seeing how many of my, uh, of our fellow critics really didn't like it. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's too bad. Um, I mean, it's, I, as you know, I'm a big fan of Elmore Leonard and it seems to be kind of from that, uh, maybe a bit more zany than yeah. his movies, it, but it, yeah, it's more the, the violent comedy yeah. with like kind of quirky, uh, yeah. villains and stuff. And not it's everybody makes it than okay. shorty. But I then I also want to say, I want to make clear, uh, as someone who likes snatch a lot, um, it's not as stylish as, okay. as snatched. Um, I could see that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's gringo. It's, it's in theaters. Um, I want to see I, it. It looked yeah. good to if, me. If you like, I feel like if you're, if you tend to like what I said, darkly comic crime thrillers, yeah. this one fits the bill. It delivers. It yeah. does what it, yeah. Yeah. You'll get what you want. All right. And then I'm going to end speaking of criterion as I was before. Oh, I watched what might be my least favorite movie in the Criterion Collection. Oh, okay. Uh, 1942's Woman of the Year, directed ah. by George Stevens, which is the first... Have you seen it? No. It's the first pairing of Tracy and Hepburn, mm-hmm. which, who would, I made. Mean, I think I, I looked up, they made nine movies together over 25 years. Hmm. Um, between this and Guess Who's Coming to, to Dinner was the, yeah. was the last one, literally 25 years later. Um, this was the first one, and I guess that's why it's notable. And I guess some people really like it. Uh, Stephanie, uh, Stephanie Zahara, whom we're both big fans of as a, yeah. as a writer, wrote the, the essay in the booklet that comes with the, with the Blu-ray. Um, but I really hated it. For two reasons, I want to say, like, first off, um, you know, uh, just from a uh, equality, social justice, feminine, feminist point of view, uh, the movie is 
just gobsmacking (laughs) because it's about the premise is that it's two Tracy and Hepburn both play columnists at the same newspaper, but Hepburn writes this sort of like high minded political moves and shakers international. You know, she's friends with dignitaries and diplomats all over the world. Type right. of column. He's the sports columnist. Got it. But you know, they end up getting into an argument over because it's 1942 over whether, um, baseball major league baseball is important during wartime she's saying it's frivolous the nation needs to be focused on the war and he's saying he makes the argument which i tend to agree with more is uh what's the sense of you know baseball is america what's the sense of abolishing something that you're over there fighting to protect in theory yeah uh anyway they get into a big argument and then uh it of course they end up falling in love uh and I was kind of with the, or at least in this, I think the movie's bad in other ways too, but in terms of uh, equality and, and women's rights, I was still with the movie up to this point. As soon as they get married, he starts to get really disheartened that she is still doing her job mm. and doesn't want to immediately become a housewife. And the movie like seems to be, uh, no, I, I would say seems to be, and then eventually definitely is taking his side hmm. that she should just, have that that basically the title of the movie i think is meant to be ironic in that she wins an award for woman of the year but because she's not uh uh you know domestically focused she's it's almost like she's not really a woman at all um and uh the movie i guess i'll spoil the ending because it's stupid of course she ends up giving in and willfully quitting her job and um, saying she wants to stay home and cook him meals. And she said, uh, she actually says about winning the prize woman of the year. She says this, something like this time I want to be the prize. <laughs> I, I, I can't even, imagine, I, I didn't have time to really look it up, but I can't imagine there weren't people who were put off by this in 1942. It what? seems so, uh, especially since we've seen, like I talked about screwball comedies yeah. before we've seen things like his girl Friday, which we've talked about fairly yeah. recently in, in which, you know what Cary Grant loves about Rosalind Russell yeah. is her work ethic and her job and how good she is at it. And that she's a great reporter during a bean. Well, and even Catherine Hepburn was playing like, yes, glamorous characters but very, but very strong willed and they were going to mm-hmm. do their own thing. And it does make me wonder, like, I think, I think it was like 1950 that Adam's rib came out and it's mm-hmm. so different. I've never it's, seen Adam's rib. It's really good. And it's their husband and wife and they've been married for a while and they're both they're, lawyers, they're lawyers. And, and neither of them have a problem with it. Yeah. At I, all. So I don't, uh, I, I don't get where this movie came from, but okay. But then to double back and go to the, uh, like I, I already, even before this, I wasn't on board with the movie because well, what I, did Stephanie Zaharik say about it? Um, did you read the essay? Uh, I didn't read all of it because okay. I, um, uh, cramming, I'll get to it. Um, anyway, um, uh, even before that, I wasn't on board because I don't think comedy is George Stevens strong. Mm. This is the guy who made giant and Shane. Right. You know what I mean, um, the the comedy because this is a romantic comedy and the comedy is so sluggishly paced mm. that sometimes by the time you get to a punchline in the scene you've lost all the air and the moment momentum there's one i i i, I reviewed the the blu-ray and there's one there's one moment that 
that I, that I wrote about where the punchline is so late that it took me like, I, it took me a second. Like I was confused for a second. It's like, mm-hmm. wait, why is that person there? And it's like, Oh right. That's from before. Yeah. <laughs> because it, and, and everything was like, you know, the movie is almost a full two hours long when it could have been 90, 95 minutes. It just drags its feet the entire time. Um, I, uh, so I already, yeah, I already wasn't, you know, in the mood to like the movie and then where it ended up is, was just like, again, I'll use the word again. It was gobsmacking to me. So, uh, I think it might be my least favorite criterion movie. What about Fat Girl? I haven't, I haven't rewatched Fat Girl in a long time. <laughs> um, I remember really not liking, uh, Fat Girl and I haven't seen much of Catherine Brillat, Brillet, Brilla. I think it's Brilla. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen anything she's done since she did a sleeping beauty movie in 2011, which I liked. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Not the one with Emily Browning. There were two right. sleeping beauty movies. Right. Um, wait, is that her name? Emily Browning from sucker punch. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so, uh, that's one of the, uh, that's the last thing that I saw, uh, movie wise. What's your other one? So uh, I'm going to interrupt you once I know this person's name. That's fine. Um, yeah, Emily Browning. So, yeah, listeners, sorry that I only have two movies to talk about. It's the it's the last two weeks of school, and so I'm just grading papers and writing papers. Understandable. Um, but at long last, there's a movie that I've been meaning to watch for a long time and never got around to. Um, it is Rodrigo Garcia's Nine Lives uh, from 2005. Have you seen it? No. I've okay. seen some Rodrigo Garcia movies, okay. and I've seen the Kevin Spacey Cat movie. It's basically that. <laughs> okay. Um, but just a little bit more artsy fartsy. Um, no, it's, uh, it's essentially nine short films. Uh, each one based, each one named after the female lead of that story. Um, and each, uh, film is done in one shot, which as you know, is a thing that tends to bother me, except it is not showy. It, seems to spring naturally from the emotional state of the characters and if i had not known about the one shot thing i don't know if i if i would have been able to process uh or if i would have been mm-hmm. aware of that which to me is usually the best version of the one take thing because because while it's not it's not calling attention to itself but my brain is probably still very aware of the fluidity of doing one long take. Uh, but anyway, uh, and each, each, uh, each story is really interesting. Um, sometimes our, our lead is likable. Sometimes they're not, uh, a lot of them have to do with, with romantic, uh, encounters, not all of them, but a good portion of them. Um, the, I was, I think I was reading Roger Ebert's review because the reason it was on my radar at all is because it was one of his 10 favorite movies of that year. And he just said that like, this is a film that loves every single one of its characters. And I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. Even the characters that are kind of jerks, uh, the film seems to view as like, ah, it's unfortunate that they're jerks, you know? Um, but it's just a stellar cast. I mean, it's, it's marvelous. You've got, just uh, off the top of my head, you've got Robin Wright, Jason Isaacs, Joe Mantegna, Kathy Baker, Glenn Close, Amy Brenneman, Sissy Spacek, uh, Aiden Quinn. Wow. Uh, and there are others. 
Oh, William Fickner. Oh, wow. Uh, is in it. Uh, uh, Ian McShane and Molly Parker. Parker, um, but not in the same uh, thing. Uh, Dakota Fanning uh, is in it. Wow. It's a. It's and they're all doing wonderful work and it's a film that you know each each uh miguel miguel sandoval is in there one of my favorite character actors um and each film has its own you know uh its own emotional beats it's and you kind of you see some characters show up in other characters stories but it's not shortcuts or anything like that um and it ends on a note that is so that was to me mournful, but not necessarily depressing. Uh, do you know what? Like there is a difference. Yeah. There are movies like Angela's ashes that I think are just, just steer right into It's a good, I like Angela's ashes, but like, never saw that. but then there are movies that I think are just, or, or like ordinary people, you know, where it's like, we are just going to jump right in Mm -hmm. and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Um, but the, the final film is not, it's definitely sad and there is a, 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 a mournful quality to it, but there's also some, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to explain the tone of the film in general and that last film specifically, but it's definitely worth seeing. Um, I really liked it. Great performances all around and really well-written. I feel like you never know what you're going to get with Rodrigo Garcia. Cause he has made, some movies that I think are dreadfully turgid and sappy, like sure. uh, mother and child and Albert knobs, which Albert knobs. Is oh, I didn't, I didn't cool. know he made Albert knobs, but he's also made some great TV with HBO. He did yeah. a bunch of, uh, in treatment, yeah. uh, um, not calling by name. Tell me you love me. Um, what else? Six feet under. I feel like there's another one that I had, uh, pulled up that he did a bunch of, um, on HBO that now I'm forgetting. Um, Anyway, uh, and then he also made Last Days in the Desert, which I thought was great. Yes, which I really, really liked. Yeah, um, yeah looking at his filmography here, yeah, he, he's done a ton of TV. Um, but, uh, and yeah, and my limited experience with uh, In Treatment, which uh, I don't think I saw any of any of his I'm looking at, I think he was films, only the but, first, first yeah. season. Um, and he did some big love, some six feet under carnival. Like it doesn't surprise me. He directed an episode of the Sopranos now that I'm looking at it. Oh, that's, that's um, boom but, town. uh, I know but, you were a big Boomtown fan. I did like that. Yes. But yeah, uh, if I think I, I honestly can't imagine anybody not liking nine lives. We watched it as a function of, um, the class that I TA for, but I won't be able to, I won't be able to ask the kids like what they think of it until, Wednesday. Um, but I really think that they will, um, I'm interested to see if they liked it cause I can't imagine anybody not liking it, even if you are 18. Um, <laughs> and the last film, it definitely, it got me, uh, emotionally. And after, after the screenings, I, that's when I take attendance, uh, for the screening itself. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I'm just kind of sitting there processing everything that I'm feeling while the kids are like, you know, initialing next to their name and all that. And then like one kid said like, Hey Tyler, what did you think of that? And I was like, I thought it was pretty great. They're like, yeah. Like they clearly saw <laughs> like I was, I wouldn't say I, I was to the point of tears, but like I was definitely, uh, feeling a bit, uh, melancholy at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really 
marvelous film. Holly Hunter's in it. Stephen Delane. Yeah. Wow. How am I, how am I forgetting these people? That's crazy. Yeah. So, um, all right. Good uh, stuff. Let's move on to TV real quick. I don't have much to say and I don't watch that much. As I've said, I don't watch much TV anymore. Okay. It's kind of a conscious decision, but I have to make time for Atlanta, which is back on FX. Sure. Um, because I really love the feeling that the show can be whatever it wants week to week. It has a loose sort of collection of characters and a general ambling direction that it's headed, mm-hmm. but it really feels like more of an anthology show. Um, and so this one started with essentially a short film that has nothing to do with anything else that happens has happened before or happens for the rest of the episode. I don't know if we'll revisit it in the season. Okay. Um, this is the second season premiere. Um, uh, and then it gets into this story um, about uh, basically Ern, who is Donald Glover's character and um, Alfred, who is his cousin, who's the rapper. That's the right. thing is he's the rapper. Uh, Ern is managing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um, uh, is it Alfred or Albert? No, I can't remember. Cause they call him Al. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, Al is under house arrest and their, uh, uncle apparently is having some sort of domestic dispute. And Al is like, Ern, go over there and take care of this before, you know, we don't want the cops to get called. Right. So most of it, most of the episode, um, is Ern and he brings along Darius, played by the key Stanfield. Yeah. Um, in this house where Cat Williams, the stand-up comic, plays their uncle. And Tyler, he's so fucking good. It's an amazing performance. Like, he, he plays, uh, he's their uncle, and he's got essentially like a common-law wife that he yeah. has um, locked in one of the bedrooms over a dispute over $50. Um, and that's what Ern is trying to re- resolve before yeah. she calls the cops. Um, Cause that would be bad for everyone. Also, he has a full size adult alligator locked in the bath in the different, different room. Um, all, all, the, right. all the neighborhood kids know it. They call him alligator man. <laughs> um, and, uh, but Nikki cat, cat, um, cat Williams plays, um, uh, basically he's a, he's a Vietnam vet. Um, or no, that doesn't make sense. He's a vet. I guess yeah. he's a goal for goal for probably. Um, and is clearly a very smart person. They talk about that. They talk about his, um, potential and some sort of like, either you get a hint of some sort of larger family backstory, um, who is now just this, I guess you'd say his situation is sad, but you would describe him as an angry person. Yeah. Angry and defensive. Um, in ways that are sometimes very loud, but also sometimes very quiet, Mm -hmm. which I point out because when you think of Cat Williams, you think of loud. He's, you know, he's very, and not just in terms of volume, in terms of appearance, like everything about Cat Williams is generally very loud. And this is him, you know, with his hair pulled back, unshaven in a bathrobe. It's like, it's not the Cat Williams that I'm used to seeing. Interesting. Uh, And it's a terrific, terrific performance. And, um, yes, you do get to see the alligator. Oh, okay. I I was wondering. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Chekhov's alligator and all that. Like you can't, you can't just suggest it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I feel like everything I talked about this week, I watched with Natalie. So I keep bringing her up, but, um, uh, it like within like the first couple of shots of Donald Glover in season two, she was like, Oh my God, he's, beefed up and i was like yeah he played lando that's probably why oh yeah undoubtedly yeah because yeah. he was like the 
you know, scrawny in season yeah. one. And now like he gets out of the car and he's clearly like, yeah, I think he's trying to hide it under sweatshirts or whatever, trying to still be the same character, yeah. but he's clearly like a, like swole, you know, uh, I hear you. All right. Uh, we have a survivor to talk about. I right? do. Yes. Uh, so I started watching this season reluctantly because I was so angry about last season and how obviously, right. Uh, involved the producers were in making sure that the right person won. Uh, and so, and then this, this cast is fine for the most part. There's really only one or two people. I'd say there's, there's about seven people that are really registering at all. Uh, and then of those, there are only like two or three people that I like, uh, we're only two episodes in, but the first one was two hours. So, Hmm. um, you spent a fair amount of time with them. Uh, and it's just, it's frustrating when you just have to try and be like, all right, I assume in the next few episodes, people will emerge that I sympathize with or Mm -hmm. that I think are good players. Um, there is one guy who has not, isn't much of a personality yet but I think he might be a brilliant player. Um, precise, maybe precisely because he's very unassuming and he's very quiet. Um, and so I'm really interested to see where things go with that guy. But, um, they, the, uh, when they announced what the theme of this season was, it's survivor ghost Island. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And just like, I, I was like some, some bullshit. Is it spooky? No. Oh, okay. They try to make it spooky. They've got like all this uh, skull imagery and stuff. But um, so essentially what it was, they said, you know, uh, we're going to revisit some of the, the biggest mistakes that survive that has ever ha- have ever happened. So when they first announced that, I thought like, oh, they're going to bring back old cast members that made dumb mistakes and got mm-hmm. themselves eliminated. And they said, like, it's not that instead they're going to bring back like. The, the mistakes often have to do with like not using a hidden immunity idol correctly or something mm-hmm. like that. So like they're going to bring all those back and like reintroduce them. And so the person just has to, you know, quote unquote, lift the curse or whatever horseshit. Um, <laughs> and at first I'm like, Oh, so they're just bringing back props. Who, who cares? You know, I say that, uh-huh. but I will say this. It's kind of neat. Specifically, like, for example, uh, season 15, and this is season like 33, I think. No, like 35. Wow. Maybe even 36. But anyway. uh, You know what? 37. It's 48. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was way off. Um, But on season 15, uh, there was this guy named James who was a very good player and he had two immunity idols and he was like in the top seven, maybe even the top six. And he was, you know, he has a, a very famous confession where he's like, I'm on survivor with two immunity idols. Like you win, you're going to win if you mm-hmm. do, if you do that. And he got voted out with both of them in his pocket. Like it did not occur. He got that blindsided. Um, wow. and so this one, so like one guy, 36, by the way, 36. Okay. So one guy found, uh, this immunity idol and he uncovers it. And it is indeed like this idol from season 15. And this guy, and the guy says, he's like, he goes, I was like six 
when that happened. And (laughs) he goes, and he, not six, I I was like very young. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and that was the first season that I watched. And I remember loving James and being so frustrated that this happened and to be holding the actual. So like there is this element of like when you, when you see like Hollywood memorabilia, it's like, Uh yeah, it's just props, but at the same time, cool. Yeah. You know? So it's that. And then they do get to, you know, they do show like clips from this moment that, that happened. And so, you know, it's kind of, thankfully they're not playing, playing up the conceit that much, but it is kind of neat to, to see that and to see, the fact that like the people on the show are big survivor fans. So when they encounter these things, it's exciting to them. Uh, and so their, their excitement is kind of infectious, but, um, but yeah, it's, I just, I'm sure by the time the merge comes along, I'm sure I'll be invested, but I do still, I'm at a place now where I really, I don't trust the producers like to just let things happen the way they're going to happen. And they do it in the, and they, they get involved in the guise of like, ah, there's a twist. You never know what the game's going to do. It's like, yeah, but it's not the weather (laughs) you are making decisions. And so when the game does something that favors someone, like it's, it doesn't seem random to me. And so, uh, and already like in the first episode, like there is this guy who's this gay guy from Kentucky and he's, uh, he's very likable, uh, but he's not very physical. And there is a, a challenge where he's not a, that's a water challenge and he's not a very, um, he's not a very confident swimmer and, uh, and he actually doesn't want to do it, nor does he have to, but he's in a position where he could like help somebody that is, that is not doing well. And so finally after like his, his team saying like, no, no, you can do it. You can do it. And then Jeff kind of Jeff probes kind of bullying him into it. <laughs> he finally is like, okay. And so he puts on the mask and he goes and he does what he's supposed to do. And then like, you just see, at, and even though that tribe loses the challenge, like probes is just like playing up. Like he goes, he goes, Oh, but you know, and this guy's name is Donathan by the way, which is, off putting, but somehow it seems right for that guy. He goes, he's like, Donathan, you're kind of a, kind of like a hero. It's like, well, they lost, but like clearly, Donathan. yeah, I know. That's it's like, if your name was Jimothy, right? Yeah. That sounds, it, <laughs> it feels like someone was drunk and like slurred their words or something. It's like, ah, shit, we wrote it in pen. But, um, but yeah. And so it just, you can, you can clearly see when Jeff, who is an executive producer, is the host and he's like i'm by god i'm going to make a moment here (laughs) and and it just it's it makes me roll my eyes but but yeah it's i i often feel this way at the beginning of a season when it's people i don't know Mm. um but like at the beginning of last season there were a lot of people i got a really strong vibe from and and i knew whether i liked them or not and i liked most of the people this time there's still just, I think also this, this time around, and maybe I thought this, I, I've thought that's the last few seasons. It's a lot of really young, attractive people. Hmm. And another thing that I have noticed, it's a weird thing to notice. Usually within the first couple episodes, maybe three episodes, um, everyone's losing enough weight that like the clothes they brought don't fit anymore. So uh-huh. production will be like, okay, well here's the bathing suit you brought. So you, you wear that. Um, last season and this season, they seem to be holding off on that for a while, which means everyone's in their underwear for like 
a, a good portion of it. And I'm starting to think that that's by design yeah. because they want to yeah. try and like, you know, titillate, uh, the viewer or something. Yeah. And so, sexy um, starving people. Oh boy. It's everything you want it to be. Uh, especially when people show up skinny and they're like, Oh good ribs. That's what I wanted to see. Um, but yeah, so I still enjoy survivor. It's still something that I, that I like, but honestly, like I'm at this point, uh, of this season of the amazing race, I was in, like I was totally invested, not so much, uh, with survivor and that's pretty rare. I, I, I usually survive, uh, pick survivor over amazing race, but certainly not this time around.